There's an old fable that's told of a traveler who came upon a construction site, and he was curious as to what was happening. He approached a bricklayer, and he asked what he was doing. The bricklayer didn't even look up at him. He just said, I'm earning a wage, and he kept working. The traveler walked a little bit further, and he noticed another bricklayer, and he asked him the same question. That bricklayer said to him, uh, I'm building a wall, and then he went back to work. The bricklayer traveled around the side of the construction site, and he saw a third bricklayer. And he asked him again, Sir, what are you doing? third bricklayer stopped, and he stood up, and he turned around, and he said with a confident smile, he said, I, sir, am building a cathedral. You know, all three of those men told the truth. Everything they said was factually correct. But only one of them had the, the mindset, the perspective to, to place the daily routines of life in an epic context. Only one was seeing the big picture in the midst of the daily routines. He said, I'm not just earning money building a wall, although it is honorable work, and it pays a decent wage, and it helps me support my family. I'm doing more than that. I'm building a, a cathedral that will probably be standing here for a long time after I'm gone. I'm leaving behind something that will outlast me something that's much bigger than me, a beautiful building that I have the privilege of laying the foundation for. I've said many, many times over the years that most of life is quite routine. There are a few fun and fabulous events in life. There are a few traumatic and frightening experiences. There are a few heartbreaks mixed with some joy and excitement. But most of the time we work our way through the routines of daily living and there isn't much change. Most of us do pretty much the same things every week. It's called responsible adult living, and that's the way life tends to be. But I fear that many of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior are not living with the big picture in mind. We are children of the God of heaven, the sovereign ruler of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. He has gifted us and guided us. And he uses us in his divine plan to glorify his name and work out his plan of redemption for this world and the people in it. Everything we do in our daily routines should be placed in this epic context of living for the glory of God and the furthering of his cause and the honor of his name. Everything we do should be done with the thought of making disciples and living a clean and clear testimony for Christ. So we do the daily routines well and with honor and integrity and dedication and sacrifice and selflessness because all of this brings glory to God and it furthers his cause and it opens opportunities to witness and it builds committed disciples for the Lord Jesus. So what are we doing? Well, some people say another day, another dollar. Got to put food on the table, you know. Got kids to feed. I'd like to take a nice vacation someday, so I better try to make some money. Pickups don't run without gasoline or diesel, you know. Bills don't get paid by themselves. I got to fix another tractor, repair another pipe, change another tire. Or ladies might say, well, another day, another diaper. Meals don't cook themselves. Laundry, what else do I do? Trying to keep my sanity with my kids. My house is kind of a mildly organized chaos. 
What are we doing, young people? You say, well, homework, baseball, homework, homework, more homework, basketball, wrestling, practicing for a music lesson, going to volleyball practice, cleaning my room, helping my mom, mess around on the computer, beat my score in my last video game, trying to stay out of trouble, trying to keep from getting bored. What are you doing, teenagers? Ah, uh, nothing. But if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, can we get a grip on the big picture? Life is all about the glory of God and the furthering of His kingdom. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 31-33, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. So fix that tractor. Paint that fence, clean that room, wash that laundry, do those dishes, finish that homework, help that neighbor, complete that reading assignment, mow grass or shovel snow, depending on which time of the year it is. Love those kids and grandkids. Sacrifice for the people you love. Don't live for yourself. Do all for the glory of God. Do the daily routines well. Live with honor and integrity and dedication and sacrifice and selflessness. Never forget the big picture, the epic context. You're not just laying a brick. You're building the kingdom of God by what you do and the way you do it, even in the daily grind of the routines of life. Jesus came to serve and to give. That's what he tells us to do in the Gospels. That's the heart of the Gospel. Jesus said, you want to be great in God's kingdom? Then serve. You want to rule? Then serve. You want to have authority? Then serve. You want to lead? Then serve. You want the blessing and favor of God? Then serve. If you want to be first in the kingdom, Jesus said, be a slave. Give up your rights. Give up the idea that you deserve something, that you're entitled to something, that God owes you something. Serve and give. And when it's all over in this life, you will have laid up beautiful treasure in heaven. So if we have a desire to be great in the kingdom of God and to be used in the kingdom and to live with blessing and favor of God, well, what is the plan for doing that? We know we need to serve and give. What does that look like in a person's life? What is God's plan for spiritual success? Well, it's clearly modeled for us in the life of Joshua. Many of you remember that Joshua followed Moses as the leader of the nation of Israel. We have a book of the Bible named for him that tells the story of his leadership in Israel as they conquered Canaan. But we want to trace a few events of his earlier life as well as reviewing the beginning of his life work as the leader of Israel. You may remember, we won't take the time to read all of those verses, but you may remember in Exodus chapter 24 that Joshua was Moses' assistant. He was with him at the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. What an incredible experience for a young man. Then in Exodus 33, we see that Joshua stayed at the tabernacle of meeting even when Moses was not there. He was filling in for Moses. He was his assistant. 
So Joshua had opportunity. He had commitment. He had spiritual grit. You may remember the story in the book of Numbers in chapter 14, when the children of Israel were, had, were ready to cross the Jordan and come into the land that God had promised to give them. And they came to the Jordan, and Moses sent in 12 spies, one from every tribe of Israel, one spy from every tribe of Israel. And they were going to spy out the land. They were going to see what was going on in all of those uh, nations that were there and lay out a plan for the conquest of the land that God had promised to them. Well, when the spies came back, 10 of them said, there's no way we can take this land. It's impossible. The people are too strong. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. But two of the twelve, Joshua and Caleb, said, don't be talking like that. God has given us this promise. We need to believe God. We need to go forward. We need to move into the land. And of course, the people wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. And so because of that failure, because of that sin of the nation, they wandered in the wilderness for the next 40 years, and God waited for that entire generation of adult men to die. Every man over the age of 20 years old was going to die in the wilderness. And so they wandered for 40 years, and the second generation then came back to the land again, ready to cross. But now Moses could not go into the promised land because of a sin he had committed. And so God told Moses to select his next leader. God tells Moses he can't enter Canaan. Moses asks God to select his successor. And God says, lay your hands on Joshua. If you want to read that story, it's in the book of Numbers in chapter 27, verses 18 to 20. So when we come to Joshua in chapter 1, Joshua has not been randomly selected from among the elders of Israel to take Moses' place. They didn't gather all the eligible candidates together and draw straws or flip a coin. No, Joshua has decades of proof from his life that he has dedication and commitment and spiritual grit to do what God says. So we come to Joshua 1. We want to read in Joshua chapter 1 today. And we want to see God's encouragement and challenge and promises to Joshua as God explains his formula for spiritual success. Joshua chapter 1. There is, a, there is a basic desire, I am certain, within every person to feel successful. We tend to measure our self-worth on the basis of how successful we think we are. However, our concept of success is often based on a worldly standard rather than a godly standard. Success by the world's standard usually means luxury and wealth and possessions and career achievements and fame and beauty and brains or athletic ability. Success is something that we achieve, we think, after years of hard work. We think of it as a standard of living, the ability to buy what you want, to travel where you want, to be recognized for the things that you've done. When you have finally achieved uh, financial security or a certain level of education, then the world tells us you have achieved success. But if we measure our lives by the world's standards, we are going to have an inaccurate and incomplete view of success. God's standard of measurement is nothing like the world's standard. We'll see that in a few moments as we look in Joshua chapter 1, that success is not something that we achieve. Success is something that we are. 
May I repeat that? Success is not something that we achieve. Success is something that we are. God's formula for success is completely unlike the world's formula. God's formula works for every person in every situation, whether it's in a school, in a business, at home with our families or at church. The pathway to spiritual success will not be traveled by anyone who does not practice God's formula. We're going to read Joshua uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. going to make a few comments along the way. And then we're going to wind up with God's four-step plan for success. Remember, success in God's eyes, not in the eyes of the world. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sun going toward, uh, the, the, your go, or toward the going down of the sun, Toward, I'm sorry, toward the great sea going toward, I need to reread that again, just a moment. And to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. There we go, thank you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You know, Joshua is in what we might call an unenviable position. Can you imagine having to fill the shoes of Moses, taking the place of a man who literally heard the voice of God on several occasions, a man used by God to perform dozens of miracles, a man who could stretch out his rod and divide the Red Sea, a man who could bring water out of a rock when people were dying from thirst. A man so honored by God that God judged anyone who rebelled against him. And now God wants you to step into his shoes of leadership? Not only that, but Joshua now finds himself the leader of a group of people who are well known for griping and complaining and backsliding and wishing they were back where they came from. God now looks at Joshua, and he says, You're the man, Joshua. There are still things to accomplish. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and through many precarious situations for 40 years. But now there is the land of promise still to be claimed. And remember on verse 4, as we read, from the wilderness uh, in this Lebanon, as far as the great river and the river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites, and from the Mediterranean Sea going over to the west, you know, way over into the wilderness. You know, all of that land has never yet belonged to the children of Israel. If you examined a map, <coughs> you would see that all the land spoken of in verse 4 would include modern-day Israel, plus all of Jordan, all of Lebanon, most of Syria, parts of Egypt and Saudi Arabia, and about half of Iraq. The Jewish people have never, in their 4,000-year history as a people, been in control of all that land. 
under the leadership of King David and King Solomon, they had a pretty good chunk of it, but they've never had it all yet. So the total fulfillment of this promise is yet to come. I am certain it will be fulfilled, totally fulfilled, in the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. There are some who say God's covenant with Moses was a conditional covenant that the people broke, so God is not obligated to fulfill it, and he isn't going to. Well, I agree, God's covenant with Moses was a conditional covenant, and the people broke it. But God's covenant with Abraham was an unconditional covenant. That is, God would keep his promise regardless of what Abraham did or regardless of what Abraham's descendants would do. God promised this land with these same boundaries to Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 13 and Genesis 18. You can read it sometime. God will keep this promise to the Jewish people, even though it has never been totally fulfilled yet. But how is Joshua going to manage to do God's will? What does he need in order to fulfill this awesome task? Well, as we just read in verse 5, he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He has been chosen by God to do this, and God will give him what he needs to fulfill his calling. Old-time Bible preachers used to say, God's call is God's enablement. And what they meant by that, God's call is God's enablement, they meant that if God calls you to do it, then he will give you what you need to get it done. He will provide the resources for you to accomplish his will. And in these verses, God instructs Joshua three times to be strong and be courageous. You know, you'll never witness courage in someone who's relaxing in a recliner watching the NBA playoffs. Courage is seen when a person's back is against the wall, when the odds are against them, when the pressure is on, when the devil's fiery darts are flying close by them, when the pain is intense, when the attacks seem overwhelming. We see courage in David when he walks into the valley with his sling to take a stand against Goliath. We see courage when Moses stands eye to eye with Pharaoh. We see courage in Elijah when he challenges the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Courage is most clearly seen in the midst of conflict and struggle. Sometimes courage is seen in the determination of a mother caring for her children. Why did God tell Joshua that he needed to be courageous? What was Joshua going to face that was so difficult that he would need to be courageous? Well, besides being the leader of the nation of Israel, God had given Joshua a, a project to complete. <clears throat> his first task was to lead his army into Canaan and drive out the people who lived there. Sounds like an easy job. But remember, 40 years before this, under Moses' leadership, when he sent the 12 spies into the land, they came back with stories of giants living in the land who made them look like grasshoppers. And when the people heard this, they became afraid and they refused to move forward. There were seven nations living in Canaan, all strong, well-armed, well-fortified, and ready for war. By all human standards, Joshua was facing an uphill battle. He had every reason to be worried. That's why God encouraged him so many times 
Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do you feel like you're facing an uphill battle? Do you feel like the odds are against you? Honestly, there, there are hundreds of times in our lives when we're faced with situations that to our eyes seem impossible. There are outward circumstances like illnesses and disabilities, broken relationships, financial hardships, the loss of a job, etc., etc. And then there's those inner conflicts that, that test our faith, that, that attack our personal integrity. Like being faithful when no one is looking. Enduring the pain of loneliness and separation. Standing for Christ and the truth when you're misunderstood. Here Joshua's or here God's command to Joshua, be strong and courageous. The wonderful pastor and author, uh, Rob Morgan, written many great books, wrote one just published this last year called The Jordan River Rules. He's commenting on this very circumstance. The children of Israel, Joshua leading them into the land. I want to read you just one little section of what he says in this great little book, The Jordan River Rules. Their fears were stronger than their faith, and that marred their future. Now, 40 years later, the Israelites were back in the same place under a new leader. The Lord warned them seven times against the same mistake, telling them, Do not be afraid. Remember, he told Joshua three times in this chapter, Don't be afraid. We'll read those in just a moment. But he told the children of Israel seven times. Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid. Deuteronomy 31.8, Do not be afraid. Joshua 1.9, Do not be afraid. Joshua 8.1, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Joshua 10.8, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. Joshua 10.25, The Lord said, or Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid. Joshua 11.6, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. You think they got it finally? You know, those words are for you as much as they are for Joshua because they're woven, or woven into them is a scriptural formula, and that is this. Fear is overestimating your problems and underestimating your God. Let me read that again. Fear is overestimating your problems and underestimating your God. How often we minimize our Savior and maximize our storms. Great thought. This is no little matter. The future isn't easy. Jesus said each day has enough trouble of its own in Matthew 6. He told us you will have suffering in this world in John 16. If we focus on the stresses, we'll be distressed. If we focus on Christ, we'll be confident. It's a matter of gripping his promises instead of griping about our problems. Wow, great thoughts there from, uh, from, from Pastor Morgan. Fear is overestimating your problems and underestimating your God because we minimize our Savior and we maximize our storm. We have to grip His promises instead of gripe about our problems. Tremendous. So how do we become spiritually strong and courageous. Follow God's formula for success. Let's read just a few more verses in this chapter. We're going to look at back, start in verse 5 again. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Great passage of scripture quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Stirring times in the, the, in the, the history of the nation of Israel. How do we become spiritually strong and courageous? God's formula for success. Number one, in verse six, believe the promises of God. God said, I swore to your ancestors that I will give them this land. God says, I have sworn to your, to your father, to their fathers that I am going to give them the land. And so 500 years had passed since God first gave this promise to Abraham. But Joshua was to go forward believing the promises of God. You know, the scripture is filled with the promises of God. We know them. We often quote them. We have precious verses we love. But do we really believe the promises of God? Do we believe them enough to actually obey? Which brings us to verse 7. That's our second step in God's formula for success. And that is obey the commands of God. First of all, believe the promises of God. Secondly, obey the commands of, 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 of God. Verse 7 says, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Observe to do the law. He said, don't get sidetracked. We often don't obey God fully, not because we're openly rebelling. We just get sidetracked. We, we lose our focus on our spiritual priorities. We get sidetracked. The scripture often says, don't drift off track. Keep going straight. Obey fully. Don't turn to the right hand or to the left. I know many, many believers in Christ now in all of these decades I've been preaching and pastoring I've seen many, many people, I've struggled with it myself, they're not openly rebelling against God, they just drift. They just sort of, things just kind of get normal and ordinary, and once they start on a particular track, they just don't get off. Once you start skipping church, it just gets easier and easier and easier, and once you start fellowshipping with God's people, it just gets easier and easier not to. Once you quit living for God like you should be, it just gets easier and easier not to. They're not openly rebelling in anger against God. They're, they're just drifting. They just get sidetracked. They just kind of fade. They don't really crash. 
They just kind of fade. God challenged Joshua here. He said, believe my promises and obey my commands. Don't turn from the right hand or to the left. Observe to do all that I have commanded you to do. God's formula for success, number one, believe the promises of God. Number two, obey the commands of God. Number three, meditate on the word of God. Great verse, I memorized it many, many years ago. This book of the law, verse eight, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The only time in our English Bible that the word success occurs is in this verse. Best illustration of meditation that I've ever read or heard is a, the old story of a cow chewing her cud here in uh, rural Montana. There's so many livestock around, it's a pretty easy, pretty easy concept for us to get a hold of. You gather grass, you swallow it, you get full, you regurgitate it, you chew on it some more. It's what cows do. You see them, I see them behind my house uh, quite often in the springtime and in the summer. They're, they're grazing, 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 and then they're laying down. Sometimes they're laying down right by the fence in our backyard. And there, and you see them, the old, the old uh, chewing, it's chewing, it's chewing, it's chewing, it's chewing, chewing, chewing. And you know, I know it's kind of a gross thought when you think about it. They chew up all this grass and they swallow it and then they regurgitate it and they chew on it some more and they swallow it and then they regurgitate it some more and they chew on it some more. But it, it, it is an amazing miracle of God that all that regurgitated, rechewed grass in a dairy cow turn, turns into good milk. You, you meditate when you fill up on the Word. Then you keep bringing it back to mind and thinking about it, re-examining the passage, applying it to your life over and over and over again. And I have to qualify my statement. I'm sure some of my beef cattle raising rancher friends will say, well, hey, that old black Angus cow uh, regurgitates. She makes great milk. It's just that her calf likes it. Most people aren't too fond of it. But how does that work? It works because that cow is chewing her cud. She's meditating in a sense. You know, I memorized this verse years and years and decades ago. I've quoted it many times. But I didn't realize until, oh, eight or ten years ago, I was doing some study in the text here, that, that, that in, in the Hebrew text, the word success is not a noun. It's a verb. It means to become wise and insightful and to gain understanding. This reinforces what I shared with you a few minutes ago, that, that success is not something that we achieve in the world's eyes. Success is something that we are in God's eyes. Success, he says here, if you meditate, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Not that you're going to achieve something, like it's a noun, success, what you achieve. It's a verb. It's something that you are. Meditate. And your way will prosper. Your way will be blessed. He's not talking about finances necessarily. He's talking about the blessing of God. Meditate, he said. You will be blessed. You will become spiritually wise. You will become insightful. So, believe the promises of God. Obey the commands of God. 
meditate on the Word of God. And then, in verse 9, live in the presence of God. He says, God says to, Mo, or to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some of you sharp-minded theologians are already thinking, hey, wait a minute, God is omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. We're always in God's presence. That is true. But when I say live in the presence of God, I mean, do we live like we're always in His presence? We know theologically God is everywhere. We cannot escape His presence. Psalm 139 is very clear on that. Where can I go from God's presence? And the psalmist lists many places. I can't go anywhere from God's presence. But do we live like we're in His presence? Do we live like He hears everything we say? Do we live like He knows everything we think? Do we live like he sees every place we go and everything we look at? Living with a sense of being in the presence of God has two wonderful perspectives, two helpful perspectives for us. First of all, it keeps us from fear because we know God is there with us all of the time. And secondly, I believe it keeps us from sin because we know God is there watching us all the time. There was a little booklet written about 300 years ago by, by a monk who called himself Brother Lawrence. He entitled his little booklet, Practice the Presence of God. That, that is a challenge, to, to learn to live in the reality that we are never alone. God is always there. That truth will keep us from fear, and that truth should also Keep us from sin. Are you facing an uphill battle? Do you feel like the odds are against you? As we enter this first Sunday of 2022, I assure you that God's formula for success works, but there are no shortcuts. It calls us to be strong and courageous. It calls us to believe God's promises and obey God's commands and meditate on God's word and live in God's presence. You know, long before anyone ever heard of Nike, in verse 10, Joshua just just does it. You know, the little Nike switch, just do it. <laughs> Joshua says, gather all the people together, get ready, because in three days we're going in. What was he doing? Believing the promises of God, obeying the commands of God, meditating on the word of God, living in the promises of God. Joshua just gets with it and does it. He does what God says. Be strong and courageous. I am with you wherever you go. He acted on what he knew to be true. And that is the life of faith. Faith isn't just that you believe something or believe certain facts. Faith is that you act on what you know to be true. Faith is obedience. Faith is doing what God says. That's what it's all about. In 2022, will you follow God's plan for success? Believe the promises of God, 
obey the commands of God, meditate on the word of God, live in the presence of God, act on what you know to be true, and let's, by God's grace, live a life of faith in 2022. Let's pray. Help us today, Lord, to do your will, to follow your ways, to believe your promises, to obey your commands, to meditate on your word. Help us, Lord, to remember that you are always there. May we live in your presence, live with this concept, with this reality that we are in your presence, that it may keep us from both fear and sin. Lord, we don't know what the year holds for us. We look back for the last couple of years and see many, many challenges, many life changes, many world changes, many government changes. We don't know what is coming down the line of this coming year in 2022. We don't know how it's all going to pan out, but we know one thing. You are always going to be there. You said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Your presence will always be with us. So may we act on what we know to be true and live a life of faith and follow your plan of success, not for what we can achieve, but for what we can become. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday.